Hi friends, this is Yolando. Kate and I are away again this week, so instead of our regular podcast, we are sharing one of Kate's sermons preached at The Grove. We hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus heals a man who is blind. Hear these words and ponder what the Lord is speaking to your heart. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Will you pray with me, church? God, we remember and believe Jesus' words that we don't live on bread alone, that what truly gives us life is your revelation that comes to us through the word and through your Holy Spirit. God, we showed up hungry this morning, hungry for what will nourish us and give us real life. So feed us, God. We are your people, and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, I was going to preach us such a good, happy, inspiring, short sermon this morning. I was going to start out talking about where Jesus was when those people with the blind man found him. I was going to point out that he was in Bethsaida, which was a Gentile town and was a capital city in the Roman Empire. I was going to tell you that Jesus was where he always was, hanging out with the wrong people. Because Jesus was a Jew, one of the chosen ones, a son of Abraham, but he was hanging out with Gentiles, people who were not 
part of the Jewish nation. And not only that, they weren't just outsiders, but they were imperial outsiders because Bethsaida was such an up-and-coming city in the Roman Empire. It was built by Herod Philip, a sellout Jew, and he had named Bethsaida after the emperor's daughter, Julia, to try and curry favor that it was a center of power and wealth and control, and the people who lived in Bethsaida, they were working for and with the oppressors. They were sellouts and ruthless, violent thugs. So I was going to say, let's pay attention to where Jesus was when this crowd found him with a blind man, that he wasn't safe in the holy city among those who already knew God and longed for him, but he was among the people with God-shaped holes in their hearts, the people that we would cross the street to avoid, the people we don't want to worship with in our sanctuaries. And I was going to point out that these were the people that Jesus cast down his crown to embrace. And I was going to say, look where they found Jesus. Now let's make sure they find us in those same kinds of places. That was going to be my first point. And then I was going to point out to you that Jesus was interruptible, that he woke up that morning with holy stuff to do on his Messiah to-do list. He was busy, you know, saving the world. But when this crowd of no-hopers found him and they asked him for healing and they were not going to give him anything in return, Jesus stopped the holy work he was doing and he gave out of his own sacred power to them without asking anything in return. He just blessed them. And I was going to say to us, if Jesus, who was the son of God, busy reversing the curse of Eden and redeeming creation, if Jesus was able to stop what he was doing and meet someone's need just because they had it, if Jesus was interruptible, then surely we should be interruptible. Because people should matter more than productivity. And I was going to say, do you think really that what we are doing is more time sensitive or essential than what Jesus stopped doing that day? I was going to say, hey, church, the work has been done. It is finished. And I was going to remind us that we literally have nothing better to do than love people and share what we have. So my second point was going to be be eager for holy interruptions. And then my third point, because you know there was going to be a third point, because that's the law, because Trinity. I was going to wind up for the big finish, and I was going to make a few jokes about how Jesus spit in people's eyes and aren't we lucky for science, and all about how intimacy and vulnerability can be gross sometimes, but they're essential. And then I was going to say, but hey, did you notice that Jesus healed that guy and it didn't work? That Jesus spit in the guy's eyes and laid his hands on him and then he really couldn't see and how do we know that he couldn't see because Jesus asked him can you see anything and I was going to point out that Jesus really wanted to know if the guy was better he wanted to know if he was actually healed he didn't just want to spit in his eye and then make another notch on his messiah belt and walk away Jesus wanted to know how he really was and because he asked the question, the man gave the answer. He said, well, I mean, I, better than I used to see, but I know those must be people over there, but they look like walking trees. And because Jesus actually wanted to heal the guy and not just look like he had healed the guy, Jesus risked his own reputation as a miracle man to touch him a second time. And I believe Jesus would have kept at it, encountering that guy, embracing that guy, touching that guy, 
until he really was well. And then I was going to go for the big finish and say, too often, church, we just want to look like we're doing ministry. And if it's not blessing people and if it's not working, we don't ask the question because we don't want to know. We just want to spit in people's eyes and say, you're welcome, and then walk away. I was going to tell us that we really need to ask the question and care about how people really are. And I was going to point out that if it didn't work when Jesus had a first ministry encounter with somebody, then we probably shouldn't be surprised if it takes more than one conversation, more than one ministry, more than one blessing in order for people to fully come into the community and be healed. I was going to say, sometimes we just want to go to sleep at night being proud that we have made a difference. So we don't really want to know the answer if we haven't. I was going to say, at this point, a special word to the Freedom School interns and the parents and just encouraging you that you're doing good work of pouring into your children and healing your children. And if sometimes it seems like it doesn't matter if it's not working, don't be afraid to say it again, to do it again, to offer a second choice or a third choice or a fourth choice. Because every time we pour out ourselves in love towards someone, it's never wasted And we literally have nothing better to do. And then I was going to say, hallelujah, amen, let's eat. But that's not the sermon I'm going to preach to you. That's the sermon I was going to preach to you until I did that thing that always messes everything up. I sat down, and I prayed, and I studied the word. And I said, God, I know what the meaning of the story is. I know that I know what it is. But open my mind just in case I miss something little. (laughs) And the Spirit said, you are missing something. Actually, you're missing almost everything. And I realized that I had made this irresistible, classic mistake that we all make in the beginning I read the story, and I tried to figure out how to apply it to our life together. And without even noticing, I assumed that the person I'm most like in the story, the person you're most like in the story, is Jesus. Church, we're not Jesus. We're the blind guy. And you say, yeah, whatever, Pastor Kate, I see just fine. I don't need my eyes fixed. And I say to you, yeah, not that blind guy, not the first blind guy, the second one. Because Jesus really wasn't so worried about people's physical sight. He would heal people who was blind, but people who were physically blind were not the ones who were in great danger. Jesus wasn't so worried about our our physical blindness. He came not to fix the eyes in our heads. He came to fix the eyes in our hearts. Jesus came to heal spiritual blindness. See, we have this habit of like taking a little piece of scripture and ripping it out of the Bible and plopping it on a pulpit on Sunday morning and pretending that it exists just by itself right there. But the thing is, this story is part of the whole gospel. And you find it in the eighth chapter of the gospel of Mark. And for you Bible geeks out there, that means Mark has put it exactly in the middle of the story of the coming of Christ. And from the moment that Jesus came out up from his baptismal waters in the Jordan River, he has been doing one big mass healing of spiritual blindness. 
He's been walking around performing miracles. And wherever he goes, the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear. Demons flee and hearts are turned back to God. Storms are stilled. Enemies are forgiven. Strangers are welcome. Bread is multiplied. He is forgiving people and welcoming them in. And his teaching, people will walk for days to hear him teach. They are nourished by his word when he tells about the kingdom of God, when he tells about the coming rule of the creator, about how this new age, which will last forever, in this new age, the first, the first will be last, and the last finally will come first, and the empty will be filled, and those who are currently mourning will dance and sing, and the lion will cease devouring and lay down with the lamb. And by this time in Mark's gospel, People are starting to see. It's crazy. But could this guy, who isn't royal, who isn't powerful, who isn't rich, who was born in a stable, under a cloud of scandal, because his mama and daddy were not married, this guy who grew up as a refugee, who came from Nazareth, this guy who was baptized by John the Baptist like all the rest of us, this guy who eats with Gentiles and sinners and women, could he be the Messiah? But the prophet Isaiah foretold, through the prophet Isaiah, God promised that the Messiah, the Messiah, the Savior, when he came, would be given to you as a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring from bondage, those who are bound, and from the prison house, those who sit in darkness. No, in spite of all the miracles and all the anointed teaching, most people just can't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But the disciples, the ones who are closest to him, the ones who have been touched by him the most, Jesus says to them, do you see who I am? First he says, who does everybody else say I am? And they get lots of crazy answers. You're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're anybody but the Messiah. He can't be the Messiah. He can't be the Savior because look at him. And then look at that Caesar and the armies and all that imperial power. How can that guy save us even with all his bread and storm tricks? How can that guy save us from the Roman Empire? And Jesus looks at them, at his close circle of friends and says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter takes a big gulp and he says, I say, I say you're the Messiah. And stage one of the healing is complete. Peter sees, we see, that God came down to save us. And it doesn't look like what we were expecting, what we were waiting for. It doesn't look like God as a holy warrior on a cloud coming down with lightning shooting out of his eyes to zap our enemies and make it rain power and wealth on us. It doesn't look like that. God, our Savior, came down weak and vulnerable like all the poor and powerless. But we see that this is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, it has to be. God in Christ has touched our hearts for the first time, spit in our eyes, and we see that Jesus is the Messiah, even though he doesn't look like what we were expecting. And after this miraculous declaration, where Peter says, I see that you're the Messiah, after he aces the spiritual final exam and claims his place at the top of the class, there's this record scratch. I'm going to read you the next part. 
Jesus then, after admitting that he is the Messiah, Jesus says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And here's the problem, church. Not only does Jesus not look like a Messiah, he doesn't act like one either. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He doesn't get that he's supposed to use his power to save us. And Jesus and Peter, fresh in the glow of his anointing and, and all that he knows about the story, and if you know the story, you know that what's coming isn't pretty. Peter takes Jesus aside, and Peter rebukes Jesus and says, I'm going to have to stop you right there, Jesus. You just admitted that you're the Messiah. You're the chosen Savior. So you're not supposed to suffer. You don't get killed. It's not going to happen like that. Peter says, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, you need to levitate on a cloud or something and announce who you are. Give people a chance to grovel and show mercy if that's your thing. But then if they don't bow down, you just zap them. If people don't get in line with you, get rid of them. See, Peter could see that Jesus was the Messiah, but his vision was hazy. And he heard Jesus talking about suffering and dying but it didn't fit with his vision of how the anointed authority of God would work his power. See, Peter was expecting that if Jesus was the Messiah, then he was going to use his goodness and his rightness to be in charge and build his kingdom and assert his authority to be the holy strong man and do whatever it took to fix people. Even if it took violence, he would expel the oppressors and tell everybody what to do. And Peter was down with following that Messiah. Peter could see that Jesus was the Messiah, but the problem was Jesus didn't know what the Messiah was. He thought the Messiah was going to be God's version of the Roman emperor, like the president or the CEO, but a holy version. He would give the best, be the best at the top, and he would control people who needed controlling and bless people who deserved blessing. He would punish and threaten and control people for their own good. So when Jesus starts talking about handing himself over to suffer and die, when Jesus starts talking about being tortured and killed, Peter can't stand it. He says, can you see anything? Jesus says to the blind man at Bethsaida. Who do you say that I am? Jesus says to Peter and to us. Because Jesus wants to know how much spiritual sight do we actually have? Yes, we're here because we know that Jesus is the Messiah. But can we see what a Messiah is? That man at Bethsaida, he wants to see so much that he tells the truth. I'm not fully healed yet, Jesus. I'm better than I used to be. I see things, but they don't make sense. My vision is fuzzy. Give me clarity. But Peter, he is certain that he's fully healed. You're the Messiah. That's all I need to know. The Messiah looks like my dreams coming true, God coming down to fix the world the way I think it should be. So shut up about all this suffering and dying, Jesus. That's not the kind of saving I want. Church, clearly we're the blind man in the story. The question is, which one? Are we the blind man that knows that we still need spiritual healing? Or are we like Peter content with our fuzzy vision. More than content, we cherish it. I know that you're the Messiah, Lord. I know that you're going to keep all of God's promises. 
I know that you'll save me someday, and right now I'm content with you just being my inspiring, motivational, moral teaching. But when you start talking about all this suffering and dying, talk less, Jesus. I know it's in there somewhere, but I don't want to understand. Now, I'm not stupid as Peter. I don't want to get called Satan. But I also don't really want to understand how it works for Jesus to suffer and die. I don't want to see that. Because if it begins to be clear to me why Jesus had to suffer and die, then there's a real risk that it will begin to be clear to me why I have to suffer and die. If it begins to be clear to me why Jesus carried a cross before he wore a crown, then it might begin to be clear to me why I, as his follower, need to pick up my cross. Most of us are trying to understand who Jesus is. We're trying to piece it all together, what we know from Scripture and from our own experiences with God, from the testimonies of our friends, and we are building this picture of Jesus like it's a jigsaw puzzle, a holy one. And it's full of pieces of miracles and deliverance and hope and trust and love and bread and wine and waters of salvation. But there are these extra pieces in our Jesus puzzle box. And they've got to be a manufacturer's error. Pieces of suffering and a cross and betrayal and torture. And this idea that not only did Jesus have to do those things, but that we might be called to as well. That we too, no matter how beloved we are, we too will face death before we find eternal life. And that we will find joy and life in our serving, not in our being served. But how those pieces fit in with the other pieces, it's hazy. Our vision isn't cleared. Yeah, Jesus, fix my physical sight, but leave my spiritual sight alone. But the blindest people of all are the people who can only see blindness in others. And we're walking around sad that people out there don't know that Jesus is the Messiah. But we in here who claim Jesus as the Messiah don't know what a Messiah is. And we don't want to know. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Because he's trying to figure out how well we see. The thing is in the story... Both a man at Bethsaida and Peter, they both get healed of their blindness. The question for us, church, is do we want to see who Jesus really is? Or are we just content with worshiping a fuzzy image of our own dreams and desires? See, right after Jesus heals this blind man at Bethsaida, he begins to teach his followers about what the Messiah is and why he will suffer and die and how we are called to do the same. And this teaching, it is the second touch that Jesus offers all of his followers who truly desire full spiritual healing of their blindness. And if you got a bulletin today and there's extras at the front and the back, if you got one, you'll see that on the back, I have listed those teachings for you, along with a full few questions that you can use to search your own heart about how well you see Jesus and how well you want to see Jesus. That's not something that anybody else 
can tell you. But we are all called to worship the truth and not a beautiful lie. And we are saved by who Jesus is and not by our illusions of who we want him to be. Jesus invites us into life. And he doesn't leave us or reject it, us just because we don't get it the first time. Church, will you pray with me, please?